welcome to the executive brain focused on the self-actualization of today's executive leaders through science and stories i'm your host grinnell connor Executive Brain is initially launching with the first segment called Techniques from Coaches. This is the first of many segments which will be coming up in the approaching episodes. In Techniques from Coaches, we will be speaking with executive coaches who are highly experienced in their field and share their scientific knowledge as well as coaching methodologies. We start with Anne Betts, expert in neuroscience of human consciousness. She will share the importance of consciousness, how it is involved with emotion, and will paint a wonderful image of how the brain can be integrated with its diverse parts. Anne, thank you for being on Executive Brain. I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Excellent. Well, basically, I just know that you have so much depth, and uh, I'd like to start there. So, the first question I asked for you is, you know, just what's the deep end look like? Throw me into the deep end. Right. What is this thing about consciousness? It's a good question. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the short answer is because consciousness drives everything. And you can call it what you want to call call it. And I think it was um, Stephen Drucker who said, Peter Drucker, sorry, who said years ago, culture trumps strategy. So you can think of consciousness as being another word for uh, culture to some degree, whether it's our personal one or whether it's our organizational one. And the idea being that what we do and who we are and the decisions we make and the degree of our effectiveness is coming from where we are internally. It really is. And I think that's why we should, as managers and leaders and executives, care about consciousness. So where we are internally, um, I, I hear this a lot. People refer this as mindfulness and these kinds of things. And, um, it just boggles me about something that should be so simple, intrinsic is something that in our adult lives or even later lives, it's almost seems we're just barely scratching the surface. Yeah. I think that being a human being is, is sort of, uh, deceptively simple and endlessly complex. And what is it to really uh, be the captain of our own destiny? And is that possible? And this has really been my research. And so we work with a model in my organization called the seven levels of effectiveness. And what we're looking at is the really the come from place, either the personal come from place or even the culture of an organization. And they range from three that are below the line, call them hopelessness, fear, and frustration, and then four that are above the line. In other words, you move from ineffective to effective. And we just have courage and engagement and innovation and synchronicity, sort of increasing levels of effectiveness. And what I think is personally really fascinating, and again, why we should care, is that um, the brain and our internal connections changes as we go to different levels of effectiveness, or you could say consciousness. I use those words interchangeably, actually. And can you describe more about these levels? So if you think about um, in the state of the three below the line states, the brain is going to be much more reactive. 
So okay. it is just going to kick off, sometimes not thoughtfully. And that's part of what makes those states ineffective. And what we've seen is you can look to see, you know, just the levels of adrenaline and cortisol and other stress-related chemicals when someone is experiencing anger, when someone is experiencing fear, when they're experiencing shame. And the biochemistry changes. And you can see how just being flooded with adrenaline because somebody sent you an email that is making you mad, which happens to all of us, you know, right. unexpected or unfair. And you can feel what naturally happens in the body is our brain and our body gets flooded with chemicals that are designed to make it easier to fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, right. or freeze. And these chemicals make it harder to think. And they're designed to do that because if you are in the middle of, a, you know, a saber-toothed tiger coming at you, you don't want to have to stop and think, well, could I fight that saber-toothed tiger? You want to be able to just run, probably run in that case, or freeze, or something that's going to be more protective. And we carry this with us today, even though there's no saber-toothed tigers, there's disappointing emails, there's traffic, there's an angry boss. All of these will have a chemical response on our brain. Mm -hmm. And the more fundamentally, the less work we've done in sort of being aware of our reactions, calming ourselves down, all of those things help integrate the higher brain with the more lower brain, more in the middle of the head that's responding more um, automatically. And when we can integrate this part, then something can happen like a very disappointing email and we've got resources to look to see how do we skillfully want to act. So I'm hearing that there are primitive portions of the brain which are concentrated on survival tactics. Uh, these things are a bit more sympathetic, I, I think. is, And that doesn't mean sympathetic, meaning knowing how other people feel. That's sympathetic as in sympathetic nervous system where someone can is and correct me if i'm wrong here uh but some kind of component which is meant for us to work towards survival and we're having in the world that we ha live in now where there aren't many saber-toothed tigers anymore we're still stimulating these parts and it's creating a biochemical response in us uh which mimicking that stress of a tiger uh, but in a world where there aren't tigers, at least here in this part of the world. Right. But there's lots of things that we perceive as a threat. You know, sometimes okay. it can be a threat to our status or a threat to our knowledge. Or uh -huh. a, often often in today's world, it's not as much of a physical threat, but it's more right. something that feels like an emotional threat. And that triggers the same kind of the same kind of system. So I wanted to touch a bit more on the, um, I call them drivers. Yes. And, and sometimes I see, you know, we all see this. We see very successful people. We see people out there doing amazing things. And then you see them on TV or on TechCrunch or, or Mad Money. And then I find myself questioning, what are they chasing? What do they want? And and the saber-toothed tiger conversation, of course, we don't have them here in the Bay Area or or where you are in, in uh, Santa Fe. Lions. Actually, have mountain lions. Mountain lions, yeah, it's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
we have that here too. But um, but now you like you said that the new saber tooth tiger has become status. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's become a, a, a growth, career professional growth. It's become self esteem. Uh, it's become uh, some image, an image maybe, or uh, some level of leadership a voice in the tech community, corporate community. So these are the new things that for us are so important to sustain and protect and, and almost we're swarmed over these things. Right. And if it's take, if you're going to take it away from me, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to freeze. So uh, the drivers become this thing where maybe in the beginning it was a, it was a growth that you wanted to discover. You wanted to get somewhere and everything, but then you got a taste of that, whatever it was. And now that thing becomes kind of like a venom and you start being so protective over it and it becomes your livelihood and your driver ends up becoming that, which is more fueled by the midbrain instead of that healthy midbrain to prefrontal cortex balance. Right. The research says that um, status is addictive. And so if I feel mm. like my status is above somebody else's, I'll get a hit of dopamine, which is a it's it's cueing us to keep doing that because it kind of feels good. Feels good. Right. And so but what we also know is that true innovation, true effectiveness, what starts to happen is that that desire for personal being better than someone else starts falling away. And that's when you actually get solutions that can change the world um, or ideas that can change the world when it isn't about, let me prove that I'm the one who's better than the other one. That's a fairly low, it's actually a very low level of consciousness. The challenge that we have is, do we come back to our own soul, my personal peace, and happiness and feeling like I'm contributing to the world is, is actually more fulfilling than that little jolt I got from being the smartest person in the meeting. I think just a focus on what is meaningful to you in, right. in the eyes of yourself rather than the eyes of the outside world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, control is a big issue. And I think that that's part of what's the complexity of, of, having higher statuses, it also often gives you somewhat more autonomy and that feels good in its own right. So I'm always looking at, in terms of effectiveness, what's the motivation behind it? It is not wrong to wanna be a you know keynote speaker and share your message with lots of people or run a really powerful organization. There's nothing wrong with that. If you are doing it only to prove that you're good enough, you probably will not be sustainable. But if you're doing it because the passion to contribute something and the passion to figure something out or create something is so big, that is a more sustainable energy. I hear you. I yeah. know what you mean. I used to work with very tough kids in the Silicon Valley, low social economic status families, uh, a lot of behavioral disorders. And we split the interventions in two places there was a behavior that was seen and could be measured. Right. But then there was something behind the behavior that was tough to measure, but it existed and it was called the function. So uh, if let's say a brother hits a sister, that's the behavior. The function could have been for attention from the mother 
right. or it could have been from control over the sister. So a behavior can have different functions and, yeah, absolutely. and the same function can have different behaviors. So, so I think what you're mentioning as for the executive leader is there's a behavior there uh, where whatever their, their speech or, you know, people like to mention what certain C-level executives are saying on Twitter, <laughs> but, and that's a behavior, whatever you say on Twitter, but the function is what? You know, right. The, the, the come from places. What you know for? Yeah. The, I I love to say, okay, if for the sake of what is that it actually authentically improves the quality of our lives. Really, not just you know. And there's a lot of stuff we get told improve the quality of our lives that that actually don't. So that's I think a real good question to say. You know, to what degree does it really? Um, that's different. And what's really, I believe, is interesting, in the, and I've been looking a lot at the research as to why this is, is that people can read your, in your words, function. They can read it. You can say all these things and, you know, say, but I said that, but they totally know if it's incongruent. What's underneath, yeah. Absolutely. Because we are extremely talented at reading each other without even necessarily knowing it. And I don't even think, Grinnell, this is anything that's that woo-woo. When I look at it, there's some weird stuff. Maybe you know this, but you know, even things to the degree that sometimes you can go in a meeting and you just all, you'll walk in the meeting feeling fine, mm-hmm. and you get in there, and all of a sudden your heart is pounding, and maybe you're feeling a little unsettled or like like anxious. Well, that could be. Here's one explanation. There's a number of different scientific explanations. Here's one. Someone in that room or who was recently in that room was upset and stressed and you're smelling it and what mm, your body is, is, yeah, exactly. Um, or you're actually literally smelling the stress chemical. You are smelling the cortisol without being able to notice that there's any odor. And then your body is mirroring that so that you can have that experience. And I think we do this in order to actually understand each other. You know, we also, we read the micro expressions on people's faces. We read the micro tone in their voice. We can tell a lot about where people are coming from. And we listen really, frankly, people, I think everybody knows this. We listen more to that than we actually do to what they're saying. Right. So. Yeah. I, I have a word for this. Uh, it's my personal word. It's not something that is in research papers and maybe it is. I call it. Word. Let's I, hear it. I call it frequencies. Yeah, yes. And, yeah. and the way that I um, I can explain this to people is you see colors and you hear sounds and all of these are wavelengths. All of these are vibrations. They are fe- frequencies. So it doesn't mean that emotion isn't that. I mean, right. like just because we don't have the tool to see it or measure it uh, doesn't mean that it it's not there. Right. Before we didn't have the tool to see cells right. and we didn't have yeah. a microscope, but it didn't you know, mean it wasn't there. Germs. I just, right. It's a good example. And when we couldn't see cells, we couldn't see germs, for example, we operated in a way that was really ineffective because we couldn't see it. So we didn't believe it was there. And so, you know, in the Civil War in the United States, they were sawing people's <laughs> limbs off. They weren't even washing the saw, much less their hands. <laughs> And I think that's a really good analogy for sometimes how we are with each other. We don't, we have a sense of something. We don't know how to validate it. It doesn't seem real in the way that other things seem in real. You know, I touch my computer like that. Um, 
And so we ignore it and we pretend it doesn't exist when really what's happening is we are basically vibrational frequencies bouncing into each other. One of the things that I think is really crucial for all leaders to understand, all humans to understand, but particularly leaders is, and this may sound really obvious, but give me a little rope. You can't turn off and turn on your influence. And the bigger a leader you are, the more you've got, the more people are watching you and the more influence you have That's right. all the time. And I think sometimes people hold it in their brain, mostly because probably they've never thought about it. I never thought about this until I did a really good leadership program about 15 years ago. And they said, you're always having an impact. And I went, no, no, like, no, now I'm going to have an impact. And now I'm just going to sit back and I won't have an impact. And this idea that like, guess, you know, when you really think about it, you realize if I sit back in a meeting that has an impact, if I alter my posture, even by an inch, it has an impact. If I roll my eyes, that has an impact. If I'm seething with anger, but smiling, that has an impact. Everything has an impact all the time. We don't turn it off and on at will. And so there's a place, and I think it's a real paradox as a leader, as a human, to be true to myself, but also responsible for my impact. And saying, and, you know, sometimes it's just a question of numbers. You know, if one person takes you wrong and everybody else mostly usually gets you, that may have more to do with their own psychology. And that is a factor, um, a big one. But if consistently you're being told something like that you're not being sensitive enough to people's needs, that you're not involving the team enough, and this is a fairly consistent message, I think three or more, you know, you got to listen to that because whether you think what you're doing is involving the team and being sensitive, clearly it's not reading that way. And if the impact you want to have, you need to be aware of how it's how it really is reading. Are people getting your intent? And if not, then what can you do? Yeah, especially as a manager or as an executive leader, C-level person or top-level management, that status is is pretty blinding and for you to just want to know what goals you want and what that needs to be achieved by the end of this sprint or this month or this fiscal year. And you're just making everybody be on the amygdala state because right. of what you want to achieve and right. what, what, who the shareholders are and what they're expecting and what the board wants to hear in the meeting. So it's very simple to, I guess, ignore that or be oblivious to that. It's, you know, I think about um, the toward in a way. So when the leader is more, we say more integrated, more thoughtful, um, both uh, in, in multiple ways, but let's just think of it as heart and head. When the leader is more connected here, that doesn't mean they don't care about results, but it also means they're aware that human beings are carrying them out, you know, the emotional connection part. Mm-hmm. And when that leader is more integrated and is less of a dictator and more likely to ask for input or say, you know, okay, Grinnell, well, how would you handle this and empower their team? Empower. And really empower and really treat them as real assets. And mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between treating someone as an asset and treating them as a resource. 
we spoke about this, I think. Yeah. Remember the truck example? Oh, yeah. Remind me of what of the, of that. Yeah. You said something like uh, uh, the human resource, the workforce is like a truck where yeah. you just grab a couple and, and put them out there and work. Uh, but then I said, but we treat our trucks better, actually, because at least trucks need to have gas and oil change and air filters and right. things such as this. We know that it's going to break and go to the shop. We right. know that the moment we buy a truck, but a person, we just think an ever-flowing fountain of youth that never tires out and never runs out of energy. Yeah, I know. I, I love that because you can a truck will stop when it runs out of gas or if it's <laughs> overheated. It'll just stop. A human being often won't <laughs> yeah. going and you know this idea that you're a resource and we can move you around and you know where the you know this non-human entity needs you it's a very mechanistic view of the world and it's not consistent with who we are as human beings we don't like to be treated as you know resources we like to be treated as as assets as contributors and so when we treat people that way and we ask them rather than just telling them what to do what we find is that the brain lights up folks were more collaborative in the coaching more asking questions and this is true of a manager you don't need to be a coach but finding out what people are thinking what they're wanting what their own ideas are what it did is it got the brain got areas of creativity, emotional receptivity, even areas in terms of visual perception, their ability to see more got better when they were treated in that way. And Grinnell, I'm sure you've seen this in organizations. That's basically how they're operating, fighting, running away, or just absenteeism or presenteeism. Yeah, yeah. And it's sad, uh, it takes away a lot of creativity oh, and yeah. as well as performance. And, uh, and it's kind of a dichotomy because job interviews are not easy. You know, you get, you know, if you go to Amazon, you have to get, go through seven interviews all day, eight hours, you know, so these things are not easy. So just, so to go through interviews where you have to be pretty sound, pretty sharp, creative, stay uh, yeah, stay in the cognitive level as much as possible and balanced just to get the job and, and be told what to do, you know, it's like a kind of right. economy. So, so the coaching is the, the coaching mindset uh, as a manager, as a leader, um, that openness to listen and, and kind of uh, allow that creativity from your team members to seep out, uh, I think can create a lot. And, and you've seen this in, in like Google's 15% time. I think they had rule where you could use 15% of your workday to do whatever you wanted, your personal project. 3M, the, the company right. that makes That's the adhesives. One. Yeah, I think they had to, I'm from Minnesota, so I know that one. And they've created right. amazing things by not forcing the brain just to narrow down and get stuff done. And so it's great examples. Yeah. So yeah, th I think the post-it note, which is right. like we're everywhere, <laughs> like it, it, we oh, our offices so run on the post-it note. It was created by someone being just creative. Yes. So the other piece about this is that we know that the more creative brain is when our minds are wandering. We're taking away from the amount of creativity we need to actively put ourselves into as far as, far as that space. And, and what does that mean? What is an example? Well, 
Newton, when the apple fell on his head, that then we come out with a physics formula. Right. Uh, when he was just sitting under a tree. Or you think of Einstein. I was thinking hours. of Einstein playing the violin. Right. So. Yeah. And and being hours in front of a chalkboard, hours in front of a chalkboard, you know, no, nothing else. So just the ability to kind of connect only with yourself and your work, connect with a time to just be creative, yeah. find a time to just be creative. Yeah, I definitely, I get that. Those are great examples too of those aha moments that don't happen when we're just pushing, pushing, pushing. It's a different network in the brain. And they're, uh, the technical term is they're anti-correlated. And what that means is they work like kind of like a seesaw, that to the degree that you get focused on task, and there's something called the task positive network, and that's when we're really trying to figure something out, making a plan, doing a budget, you know, being very actually focused on an actual task. That's one network. And then there's another one that's the default mode network. And these two work in opposition. One of the things that I found really helpful as I've worked with leaders is to say there are two ways of working. And if you are smart, you will use them both. It is limited to only use one. You're limited in what you can do. And so saying it is a way of working to say to yourself, I am having a big challenge with this employee. I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to go take a walk. And I'm going to let my mind wander and see if I have any insights. 10 or 15 minutes even. That is a way of working that in that case, you'll probably have some insights. You might even see where you're contributing to the challenge yourself. You might get a metaphor. All of those things are going to be way more helpful than if you, you know, sit down and script out your conversation with the difficult employee. Because you're going to understand more. This is the network that gives us understanding. The task network just helps us take that understanding and move it into action. So it's important, but it's not where the real juice is. So two different ways of working. One of them is hard and one of them soft, and they are equally valuable. You just need to know when to use which one. So. Mm, timing, yeah. I did want to touch on really quick the left brain, right brain. <laughs> and you mentioned the left brain, right brain from someone who's let's say a high performing coder or a programmer, and then to the point where this person enters into management or let's say mid management transitioning into top management. And then that left brain, right brain switch and their challenges with that new position that they're in right. and the way that they have to use their other side of their brain more in this new role. In the right brain, I think that's a beautiful thing. The, the right brain really understands that. And it is actually literally the place where we experience oneness and where boundaries fall away. And I, what the research is, I don't have time to go into a ton of it right now, is that the most effective leaders, just trust me on this, leaders who elicit the strongest toward response in their people are those where you get more firing on both sides. Both so sides. strategy, you know, dissection, all of that, as well as big picture. I was talking about like math prodigies. Math prodigies are incredibly well integrated, at least vis-a-vis -vis math, because it's this oftentimes you have the answer, you see the wholeness before you see the parts. So it's not, you know, this rumor that all of the STEM sort of uh, skills are left brain, not if you are at the top of your game. 
you are going to have to have both the big picture and the um, breakdown at simultaneously. You're going to actually need to be really, really well integrated to really ex excel in any field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the right brain is like the internet, and the left brain is like the URL. Oh, <laughs> the actual... good. Yeah, that's good. I love yeah. that. I love that. How do we bring this all together, and how can how can we, in our understanding and our expertise, in the you know the background that we have, and in the world that we live in, this fourth industrial revolution is you know where can we contribute? How can we help? to the leaders out there, because they have such an amazing role. They have such a great role and an enormous amount of responsibility. So what can we say to them and how can we scale this idea of consciousness, right brain, left brain, toward state in the organizations today? What, what can we do? People that, you know, maybe have a robust skepticism and, and I want to really honor that. I think it makes us all better. You know, mm -hmm. people that are saying, don't just tell me, you know, we're energy, show me how to, how does that work? Two reasons. One is they can start to explore for themselves and they can see, does this make sense? And it grounds it. It makes it tangible and it makes how we respond as human beings more normal. Now, when we understand this is the way a human being responds in, you know, situations of stress, for example, we then I think have more choice. And I think that's what it comes down to if, you are, uh, if you're on the consultant, OD, coaching side. I think what it comes down to if you're working with leaders is to help them be more integrated. Don't help them be more of one thing or the other because it feels like it's right or it's rewarded in that context. Help them be more integrated. They will be more effective if they're more integrated and ultimately Everything flows from there, including profit, linking our different parts. And that's my definition of integration from Dan Siegel. Linking up all of the aspects of who I am and knowing there's a time to lean in, in either direction. So I think that's my, that's my simple answer. So I'll take those words and I'll take that wisdom uh, about going out there and in the workplace, in this continuous evolution forward technologically, allowing humans to see the importance of integrating the full capability of the brain, of the mind at each moment and being, being cognizant and being perceptive about the moments and what, how to use that integration. Um, I was going to say, if people are interested in the seven level of effect, seven levels of effectiveness, and more about this, just going to throw my website out, which is be above be above leadership .com. and there's a whole bunch of resources on there. Yes, and so greatly appreciate it. It's been wonderful to have you here and have this discussion. Thank you for being here on Executive Brain. The best way to reach out to Anne is through LinkedIn and Betts B E T Z. And check out Executive Brain next week as we extend our segment on techniques from coaches. You can always reach out to me by visiting executivebrain.com, executive-brain.com. You can find more info there, reach out to me directly, and comment on the Executive Brain Twitter and Facebook pages. Let me know who you would like to hear from on Executive Brain, or just drop me a message. Peace and be good.